welcome back to Europe Now in Slovenia. As you can see, we have left the paved streets of the capital Ljubljana far behind us and brought you out into the countryside. That's because this is the kind of landscape that you will mostly see around this country. Slovenia, very green and very proud of its green credentials. Now you might be wondering what these buildings are behind me with the coloured fronts. They are actually traditional Slovenian bee houses. Bees and beekeeping, very important in Slovenian culture and heritage. And we're going to go and meet a man who'll tell us why. We have more than five beekeepers for each thousands of Slovenians. So we are very proud about that and probably we are the most beekeeping nation, not just in Europe, but also in the world. In many different regions in the world, the number of bees is decreasing very much due to different reasons, especially intensive agriculture, using a lot of pesticides, also GMO crops, also global uh, warming. But here in Slovenia, situation it is different. We are glad that we have each year more and more bee colonies and also more and more beekeepers. In Slovenia, we prohibit uh, different harmful pesticides. We are glad that our minister already in 2011 prohibited neonicotinoids, which are very harmful for the bees. Bees need almost the same condition as humans. Clean air, clean environment, uh, clean water. If bees will die, this is very clear sign that we are doing something wrong with the environment. Well, from hills and mountains like these to lakes and rivers, there's plenty in Slovenia for the outdoorsy-minded visitor. And this country has won several awards for being a top green destination. Well, our reporter Luke Brown has been to test out a few of the sometimes high adrenaline activities and to ask just how sustainable all of this green tourism really is. Welcome to the Socha Valley. In the heart of Slovenia's Julian Alps, this is the longest zip line in Europe, zigzagging across the Ucha Canyon, high above the Cascades. It's not for the faint-hearted, but that's not put off tourists. In the past decade, visitor numbers have more than doubled in Slovenia. The biggest attraction here, rafting on the river's crystal clear water. But the valley is the victim of its own success. It's inundated with tourists in the peak months of July and August. The local tourism board is using artificial intelligence and remote cameras to keep track. How many rafts, how many mini rafts, how many kayaks and other types of vessels are present on the river that will be able to build up a policy on how much is still sustainable for the, for the environment. In 2019, the tourism sector represented 10% of GDP and nearly 100,000 jobs. But for the locals, that mustn't come at the expense of what makes the natural environment special. The, the quantity is not always uh, the best thing. We've come to a point where I think the local economy is bursting. We like to provide quality to the people that come and we are unable to provide quality if we bring too many people. Mountains, rivers, forest. A third of Slovenia is covered by protected natural areas. The government created a green tourism certification scheme to capitalize on those strengths. For organic farmer Marco Pretner, that means helping his guests get back in touch with nature with a hay mattress and free yeah. Wi-Fi. 
Marco takes pride in maximizing sustainability. We can feed all our guests with the fresh vegetables. There is not no kilometer to transport the food to Trenta, but no meter from the room where we slot and where we pre prepare the meat to the kitchen, there are only two meters. Here, tourism like hiking is a vital contributor to the local economy. It's helped prevent an exodus away from the rural areas. With harsh winters and short summers, in these valleys you can't make a living from farming alone. Without uh, tourism would that be impossible because we also invest money earned from our guests to support production, the local uh, food production. Without that it's impossible. Away from the mountains, Slovenia is keen to promote its sustainable urban side. Ljubljana won the EU's Green Capital Award in 2016. Uh, my name is Ivana. Welcome to Ljubljana, the capital of Slovenia. And come with me. Ivana has been a guide here for 10 years. She aims to convince her customers to be greener tourists. The city of Ljubljana has a lot of drinking fountains everywhere around the city. We try to encourage people to fill up their uh, water bottles. We try to encourage people to try and think in a sustainable way and I think that's an important part of a tour guide to sort of present good examples. Mitigating the negative impacts of tourism is a delicate balance. For green guides like Ivana it's vital that her city's tourism doesn't turn it into a theme park. It's a real risk for any uh, tourism destination to become an artificial place and it's not sustainable as well because you can see how often then people move out of cities like that and then it's just the shell of what it's supposed to be. The pandemic has put a break on much of the work for tourist guides. To compensate, Ivana organizes virtual tours. While that's even more sustainable than traveling to a destination for real, it's unlikely to replace in-person tourism in the long term. I'm Tanya Fayon, I'm member of the European Parliament, member of Socialist and Democrats group. I'm coming from Slovenia and I am chair of EU-Serbia delegation. Slovenians are very proud of our green nature, of our green country. It's a very small country, like a pearl between the Alps and on the other side Adriatic. Now a different area where Slovenia stands out for different reasons. There's a very low level of vaccine uptake here compared to other European nations. Why is that the case? The government failed throughout the pandemic because there were a lot of measures changing ad hoc with the decrees without consulting experts or doctors or epidemiologists. The government was communicating in a very aggressive way. So people don't trust and this is the biggest problem currently. The European Commission, uh, among other voices, is sounding an alarm about the treatment of journalists and certain parts of the media by the Slovenian government. You're a former journalist. How concerned are you? Um, uh, very concerned, especially with the current government. Um, the Prime Minister, also some other ministers are um, really offending, discrediting. Um, uh, spreading uh, lies, attacking female journalists, for example, calling them prostitutes. There is a strong political interference to have a control over independent media. If the media collapse in this country, how we will know what is really happening? How, who will be the watchdog of our institutions? 
For his part, the Prime Minister Yanis Yansha says that he's just hitting back against a media that he sees as biased against him. I think he's very much responsible for the atmosphere in the country. If people see him using on social media, tweeting for hours, discrediting political opponents, limiting the freedom of speech, or everyone who is critically thinking, really he is responsible. Right, let's look at a, a wider regional issue now, one that you've personally had long involvement with, uh, more integration with other countries in the Western Balkans that are not yet members of the European Union, most of them trying to become members. Why is this so important to you? We have a lot of friends, family friends. We used to live together. We have our common history and the Western Balkan I mean, has always been part of Europe and it is part, will be part of Europe. And we have there um, a lot of challenges, but we have a very bright, very intelligent young generation and they deserve better than bloody wars that were in their region. From a different point of view, there are those within uh, the European Union who say, look, there's high levels of uh, corruption, for example, in many of these countries. What would you say to that? What would be the advantage to the European Union? Um, we have a process that is called enlargement process where we push them to do strong reforms, to make independent judiciary, fight corruption, fight organized crime. And once they're ready, I see no reason why to enlarge. And I really am angry or disappointed with the failure of the European Union, um, even France, that once we promised something, we closed our doors and people don't trust us. And this is something what we are now seeing here, the distrust, growing nationalism, young brain drain, leaving the countries, having no vision and perspective. And at the end, we will be responsible if there is a new source of instability in the region. Tanya Fayon, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, looking further into this region now, three Western Balkan states are actually in the top five for the highest per capita death rate from COVID in the world. We asked our correspondent in the region to take a closer look at how these countries have handled the pandemic. 50 kilometres from the Serbian border, the city of Tuzla in Bosnia. Many of the locals here have been vaccinated in Serbia, which in June authorised vaccination for Bosnians and North Macedonians. Some of us students decided to try to get our vaccination in neighbouring Serbia. One of us contacted the Serbian Ministry of Health and we received an answer in 24 hours. They invited us to come and get the jab. Journalists from TV Slon were among the beneficiaries and covered their vaccination for local news. They also reported on the number of locals who got their shots in Serbia. We wanted to show how slow the vaccination program was in Tuzla and how people weren't offered the vaccine. This was before vaccines were delivered to Bosnia in large quantities. Of all the people we spoke to, more than half had been vaccinated in Serbia. Serbia gives foreigners the same choice of vaccines as its own people. More than half have opted for the Chinese vaccine and another third for Pfizer, followed by Russia's Sputnik and AstraZeneca. This choice of vaccines reflects President Alexander Vucic's geopolitical proximity to both Russia and China. Serbia's mass vaccination campaign began in January before welcoming its regional neighbours in the spring. 
We saw that there wasn't a single vaccine in neighboring countries, so we took the decision to donate the doses and in March to issue an invitation to come and get a vaccine to all those in the region, including citizens of Montenegro, North Macedonia and Bosnia. 40,000 Balkan visitors got the jab in Serbia, which also donated 130,000 doses to Montenegro, North Macedonia and Bosnia. Through the COVAX program, they also donated 600,000 doses to Africa and Asia. But Serbia itself is facing a surge in new cases. In Belgrade, vaccination centres in shopping malls have reopened. Everybody should come and get vaccinated so we can reach collective immunity and end this health crisis. Serbia's vaccination take-up rate is only about 50%, meaning the Serbian state's vaccine diplomacy still faces further challenges on the home front. Hi, my name is Klemen Groschel, a member of the Renew Political Group in the European Parliament. I'm coming from Slovenia. This is a bridge of famous Slovenian uh, architect, uh, Joze Plečnik, and it's famous because everything that's going on in Ljubljana usually takes place in this area. Well, let's talk about uh, some issues outside of Ljubljana, in fact, of outside of Slovenia. Where do you stand on EU expansion into the Western Balkans? I'm keen supporter of enlargement, but I think that in regard to the Western Balkans, we need to send two messages. The first message, of course, is that the European Union wants to enlarge, and this is especially goes for Northern Macedonia and Albania at this moment. On the other side, we also need to send a clear message that it's not just joining the European Union, that we need to have a concrete reforms in those Western Balkans countries, because we cannot allow ourselves that we have uh, new member states without implementing all those necessary reforms because this could cause additional challenges for the European Union. I think that the European Union at that moment does not need these kind of challenges. And it seems from what we've been told that the pandemic has somewhat strained relations between at least some of the Western Balkans countries and the EU, particularly over the issue of vaccine supplies, for example. Do you think the EU should have taken a different approach? I think European Union was not in position to take a different approach. The European Union did deliver at the end large quantities of vaccines to the, to the region. But at the beginning there was a lot of problems in regarding the quantities, but you must understand that in certain extent this issue of vaccination was also misused by certain leaders, especially in Serbia, to promote some other agendas. In terms of vaccination here in Slovenia, it's a, a low rate compared to other EU countries. Uh, fewer than 50% of people at the point of filming are fully vaccinated. How concerned are you? I would say this is a result of the government policies, you know. You must know that something like 70% of the population does not support the government of Janis Janša at the moment, according to different opinion pools. And this unfortunately, and this is really unfortunately, reflects in, it, in the attitude of the population towards the vaccination. This is one of the results. I hope that this will change. Regarding the current Slovenian government, it's faced some quite serious accusations from Brussels uh, about attacks on the media, attacks on the judiciary. There are those here in Slovenia, though, who say, look, you know, the Prime Minister's outspoken on Twitter. That's not the same as a degradation of rule of law. They're not only outspoken statements, they're also deeds which show that he has a problem with the rule of law. You know, the Constitutional Court clearly said to the government they cannot imply anti-Covid measures with decrees and now they are doing the same. So it's not only 
what they are saying, but it's also the most important what they are doing. Just finally, when the Slovenian presidency of the European Union ends at the end of December, what image of Slovenia do you want the rest of the EU and the wider world to take away of your country? Above all, I would like to not to be remembered by the government of Janis Janša and his activities which were not very, I would say, in favour of Slovenia and were not portraying Slovenia in the best possible way. I hope they will see Slovenia as a green country, as a country of opportunity and a country which will and is an important member of the European Union with clear future and with clear commitment to the democracy and to the rule of law and to the, to the European Union itself. Clement Grossel, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, Slovenia's presidency of the European Union will come to a close on December 31st of this year and they will hand over to France. For this programme, however, this is the end. Thank you very much for being with us and hope to see you soon for more European adventures on France 24.